0: So hey, we're going to dive into the message. Uh, if you're brand new, we're in a series titled Hope. Everybody say Hope. Now, uh, the first week we titled the, the message How Could He Did He Will. If you haven't listened to it, I killed it. It was fantastic. Okay, um, I'm not going to lie. It's one of my favorites. All right, uh, you, you can't lie in church. So I loved that message. It, it, when I was preparing, I was bawling while I was preparing. It was one of my favorites. Uh, last week, uh, it was pretty good. Not the best message I've ever had. So, but if you haven't seen it, uh, you ain't seen nothing yet. Still liked it. Uh, it's online. Uh, and again, what I love about each message is God uses each message. He's so big, He can literally. I'll hear after a Sunday, people are like, "Man, I feel like that message was just for me." And this be like, I felt like it was just for me. That's how God works. It is for you, so God can literally develop something in you, so you can bless others. Today's message is hope. What to expect when expecting. Mm, come on now. Uh, now, let me just unpack the, the verbiage of this. Uh, I have never had a kid. I can never birth the kid. Uh, but the uh, nine months is what I know how long it takes to birth a baby. So a doctor comes, hey, you're pregnant. You're going to have a son. You're going to have a daughter. What an amazing thing to be excited for. So I started just Googling how long it took for different uh, mammals to have uh, babies. Okay. Uh, this is not really going to help my standard sermon out a lot, so just bear with me. You're like, this is your first time. Please come back, okay? Uh, elephants are 500-plus de- uh, days, okay? Yeah, wow, okay? Uh, no, thank you. Uh, and then rats are 20 days. They're in the lowest, like the, long, the quickest. You wonder why there's so many rats? 20 days. Possums, 20 days, and they can birth like 12 to 20 babies. Yuck, okay? Um, when you hear about having a baby... Or even in our nature, we can Google how long it takes to birth when needs to birth. It's awesome. But when God gives us a promise and it's in us and God wants to birth it through our life and birth it in our life, what if I'm just being honest, what stinks is I can't Google how long it will take for God to birth your promise or my promise. That is not a part of God's process. Very rarely does he give you a timeline on when he's going to birth, what he wants to birth. What he does give you is the promise and then he commits to you a process. Because really what God's not trying to do is he's not what he's not trying to do for you, but what he's trying to do in you in that process. And so there's this verse in Jeremiah 29:11. You maybe have heard of it. It's one of the more famous verses in all the Bible. I want to read it to you. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you. Everybody say amen. amen. I don't want some prospering. Let's just be honest. Come on. That's, plans to pro- God has good things for you. This isn't the bad news gospel. This isn't the prosperity gospel. It's just the gospel. Prosperity is a part of the gospel. Suffering is a part of the gospel. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Man, was one of the, I've seen this verse, before I was a Christian, I grew up in the church, I saw this verse everywhere. But I didn't understand that sandwiched around this verse was God saying this, this is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. He goes on to say, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. This is this amazing moment where God says, I have a promise for your life, but first got to go through the process. And what to expect and expecting is, I feel like a lot of us can hop on board. I can hop on board with the promise. I love Who loves the promises of God? Love them. But what if, what if your promise is on that side, but in between you and the promise is this thing called a valley? What if it's a Red Sea? What if it's the walls of Jericho? What if it's opposition? What if it's suffering? I want the promise, but do I actually want to go through the process to get the prize? But the Lord shows us what to expect when expecting, how to navigate those things. I want to read you a verse that says this in Hebrews uh, ten thirty six. You need to persevere. Turn your name and say, you need to persevere. Come on. So that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Man. I am what you call a sitcom Christian. I found out. The Lord has been revealing this to me. I, I, I have a tendency to be a sitcom Christian. What is a sitcom Christian, Tyler? Here's what a sitcom Christian is. My favorite shows are the shows, basically like an Office. I used to love The Mentalist. Anybody like The Mentalist? Um, yep, okay. I, it's not too offensive, so hopefully I didn't offend you. Like, oh my gosh, you like The Mentalist? I'm out of here. Um, uh, but recently, it really got revealed to me because I was watching this show called Suits. Anybody watch Suits? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. A little bit more Christian. Okay, sweet. Um, so, Suits. Woo! Uh, Suits is a show about these two characters, main characters, that they are lawyers. And the show starts in the first season with a problem. First starts kind of fun, and then the problem arises. And then within the uh, 45 minutes of the show, there is happy, problem, everything solved, episode over. It feels so good. I love it. So, I've just binge watched the first season. I told Rachel, I was like, today was such a great day. It just felt so good. And I don't know this about you, but it's so comforting watching a show, knowing that when, you, when, when uh, his name is um, Harvey, Harvey Specter, when Harvey's fighting, I know at the very end, it's going to finish good. And so it's just, oh, I love the rhythm of this sitcom. Season three comes around, and they've been in the same problem for about seven episodes. And I looked at Rachel this week. I said, I want to turn this off. I don't like this show anymore. And she's like, why? It's just the problem taking too long. And then I started like thinking about my life and I was like, I skip office where Michael Scott leaves the company and works for Michael Scott Paper Company because it's three episodes long of a problem and they don't wrap it up in one episode. This is my sickness, okay? And I started thinking, I was like, man, like I don't like watching shows where the problem lasts more than an episode, definitely not more than a season. And the Lord revealed to me, I'm not a sitcom God. I'm not the God of sitcoms. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I'm a God who takes you through seasons to develop what I want to develop in you. I wrote this down, and you can take it or leave it. It's a Tyler Johnson original quote. God wants to take you on a process, not to punish you, but to prepare you. Man, if you would embrace the process, oh, watch what God births in your life. Watch what he births in this region. Watch what he births in your dreams. But man, you got to be committed to the process. And it's, oh, at times I feel like God was punishing me, but no, he was not punishing me. He was preparing me to be what he called me to be. You know, God wants you to be a victor. He wants you to win in life, not lose. Well, he got to develop a warrior in you. Are you ready for that? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for uh, what you uh, have promised on this church, Lord, that this church is going to be one that will be used to love a region. Oh, Lord, where hate is big, well, your love is bigger. Where, where, where anxiety and depression is big, well, God, your peace is bigger. So, Father, even today, this morning, as we look at your message, Lord, may we understand that there is a process that you want to take us on, a journey. It's not about the arrival. It's about the process. And in the process, there is, oh, there's so many great things that happen. May we enjoy walking with our God. May we enjoy following our God. Lord, I need you. May my words fall to the floor. May your words soar. And everybody said? All right, let's check this out real quick. Um, I want you to hear this real quick. God did not create you one way to use you another. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're perfect. Uh, people are laughing. <laughs> you're perfect. <laughs> I'm sorry I can't even give a straight face when I say it to you. Turn to your other neighbor that you didn't deem worthy enough to turn to first and say, you're perfect. Okay. Have you ever been to church and everybody like, turns to their neighbor and you're like, nobody's turning to me this person turned that way it's a terrible risk I take every time I do it okay I want you to catch this real quick Uh, I think one of the greatest things that you can do is you need to understand that you are unique that God created you unique with your own grace with your own purpose with your own uh, promise on your life I I, I read the Bible and it's fascinating that there's not another walls of Jericho I read the Bible and I find it fascinating there's not another Moses there's one Moses there's one Joshua there's one Red Sea moment, there's one Jericho moment, but what happens for us is I feel like we shop for our dreams and we shop for our promises by looking at the world, but God does not want you to shop for your dreams and shop for your promises by looking at the world. You will only find worldly dreams and worldly promises. He wants you to go to his throne room. He wants you to start praying and saying, God, what do you have for my life? And what's going to happen in your life is that you're either going to try to chase your own promise and you're going to feel like you're walking uphill for the rest of your life. The Bible says, don't you know that in a race, all runners run? So let's just be honest. Everybody in this house, when you leave, you're running somewhere this week. Running here, running there, taking kids there, taking the family there, doing this for work. But it goes on to challenge you and me, the author in Corinthians. Jesus, uh, God is using Paul to write this. He says, but just don't run. Run to win. Come on. I want, I want, do, you, do you want to win in life? I want to win in life. Come on. And then, then I'm like, man, like, so we're just going to run in life? But what, what's the promise on this? Well, it says in Isaiah that, that literally that those who trust in the Lord, those who have hope in the Lord, Will run but not be weary. How does that happen? I believe when you start living for your promise, you start living for the dream that God has for your life, it's something that you could not accomplish in your own lifetime. I want to share a story with you as a pastor in LA that um, uh, I really admired when I was in LA. And again, I shared first week that we can get discouraged when we compare our behind the scenes with people's highlights. If you weren't here for that, basically what I was talking about is we compare our marriage fight uh, when we're fighting to somebody posting a sweet Instagram post about their marriage. We compare our, um, our struggle with the Lord to somebody saying, man, life is so great with Jesus. And you're like, it don't feel too great with me right now. What's going on? And so you get discouraged because you only look at the highlights, but you got to understand everybody's got a process. Everybody's got valleys. Well, I also think you can get disillusioned by looking at somebody's promise that has come to fruition because it looks easy at the very end. Because you didn't see them carry it for years, these elephant-type dreams didn't birth these little rat dreams in 20 days. It's a gross illustration. Forgive me. I'm like, really, you're gonna use it? I did. Okay, I debated and I just went for it. All right, but these elephant-type dreams they take longer. Bottom line, it's the longest gestation period. So there's this pastor, his name's Matthew Barnett, and. Again, he uh, he saw other pastors, pastors a certain way. He, he grew up in ministry. Uh, his father was a successful pastor. And so he was a young uh, man in his 20s. And his dad decided to um, uh, um, install another pastor in Echo Park with a church that was a little smaller but sat 1,400 people. And so he called 10 pastors. If you don't know about Echo Park, especially in the 90s, uh, Echo Park was a place where you would find bodies at the bottom of Echo Park and the lake, literally drag it for bodies and guns. Gang activity was massive in Echo Park during the 80s and the 90s. It has, uh, crime has dropped significantly now uh, in 2018. So 10 people said, nah, I'm good. This church did not have a coffee shop. It had a liquor store next door, okay? Different kind of church kind of vibe. You don't have a coffee shop, but a liquor store, okay? Totally different game. So 10 people said no. Finally, his dad goes, all right, Matthew, nobody wants this. I'm going to give it to you, son. Here you go. You're in your 20s. Go get him. So Matthew Barnett decides to go to this church. He has a dream to pastor a church like his dad. Dad's a pastor in a big church. and So he goes there and has 18 people and starts just doing things the way that he's seen them done. He starts dreaming about his church becoming like his father's. And six months later, he shrinks the church from 18 to two people. The following week, he's like, man, it can't get worse than this. The following Sunday, zero people showed up, and he preached to empty chairs. He was so discouraged, like, I'm still going to preach. So he preached the message to zero chairs. This is a, a man who had a dream to change the world, and he thought he was going to do it a certain way. And so he preaches to 18 people and watches it go to two, thinking it can't get worse. Oh, it can always get worse. Come on now, that bottom is it's, it's deep sometimes. And then he preaches to zero people. And at the very end of that, that service where nobody was there, he even did a altar call, he said. He literally said he copied his dad. Uh, from the front of the room to the back of the room. Come on. If you, if you feel like you are lost, well now you are found. I mean he's literally nobody's in the room, Matthew! You know. But he just he was hard to the pain with it. At the very end, he starts praying and crying to God. God, I'm a failure. I don't know what I'm doing. Why would you allow this to happen to me? Why God? Why God? Why? And he feels like the Lord said simply this to him, I want you to go to Echo Park right now. And he's like, oh my gosh, the Lord is calling me home because if I go to Echo Park at nine o'clock at night, I'm gonna get shot. <laughs> This is how you want to call me home, a drive-by? Seriously? I can't go to Echo Park, Lord. I can't go down the lake. That's where they they put the bodies. And so, so he goes down to the lake, and he has his moment where he gets his God dream, not his man dream. And as he's looking at the park, and he's looking at the sidewalks that circle this lake, God tells him, I never called you to be a great leader and great pastor. I called you to be a janitor of L.A., and Matthew's eyes open up and the Lord starts to reveal to him. The dream for him is he said, I want you to be a janitor of LA. I want you to walk around these streets. And I want you to look for broken things, aka broken people. And I want you to pick them up. And I want to use you with my power to restore this region. And so he gets this new vision. I'm supposed to create this thing called the Dream Center, where people in this region that have no hope, they'll find hope in God. And so he goes back to his church. He's listened to God. Now he's got a new game plan. That's the promise. Well, let's look at the process. first part of the process is literally the Lord tells him to put his desk and his chair outside on the sidewalk in the middle of Echo Park. So he literally has a phone, and he's working by himself, nobody on staff, and he's out there so he can meet the drug dealers, meet the prostitutes, meet the gang members. There was a workout a thing outside where he'd go work out with the gang members in between, um, uh, in, uh, in between lunchtime. And so he started, he's like, okay, Lord, I don't have a big budget. How do I, how do I restore people? Well, I, I'm going to do the most practical thing. I'm going to feed people. So he would feed three people a day. They'd put three three bags of food on the desk. People would walk by. They would go quick. And then he would uh, try to meet with many people he could. He would try to pray for people. He would be the youth pastor, the woman's pastor, and the senior pastor at the same time. He said people would call and they'd be like, hey, can I get the youth pastor? He'd be like, yeah, give me one second. Hold on, I'll transfer you. Hey, what's up? I'm the youth pastor. And he would lie like there's another person. Could I have the woman's pastor? Uh, one second, please. Hey, this is the woman's pastor. How are you doing? He would literally do that. He was trying anything and everything to, to, to try to transform region. I wouldn't recommend that, but that's how he did it, okay? <laughs> Finally, a couple people start to catch the vision with him. Because usually when you have a dream that big, you're going to need people with you on your dream. You know that God doesn't want you to walk your dream alone. You know that God doesn't want you to live this journey alone. And so a family starts to come with them, and they get this floor where they basically say, hey, let's start bringing homeless people in here, and they can live for a little bit. And let's try to fit 40 people in here. So they meet 40 people in there, and they start uh, feeding the, uh, these people, giving them a place to stay, getting them on their feet. And they're just literally just they're trying their best. They want to help 12- to 17-year-old kids, but the government says, you're not allowed to house 12- to 17-year-old kids. To save time, I'm going to fast forward to the very end. Matthew Barnett now is the, the leader in all of... Um, the church when it comes to reaching your city uh, through service. He has a 400,000 square foot hospital now off the 101 called the Dream Center. 400,000 square feet of a hospital that they have acquired on prime real estate would be more than you could ever pay for a building. 700 drug addicts, prostitutes, homeless people literally go in there at, for a season, for a year. They get rehabilitated and then they actually, because here's the, they don't minister to their need. They minister to their potential. Do you know there's gold in Everybody. There's gold in everybody. 40% of their staff is actually people who have been to the Dream Center that was a drug addict, a prostitute, or a homeless person that needed a season where somebody would come around them and actually restore them. They needed janitors in L.A., so God sent janitors. Well, I want to catch this real quick. They had prostitutes. How do you reach prostitutes? They literally started giving out free lipstick to the prostitutes so they could, because they need lipstick when they're on the streets. But on the top of the lipstick, it literally said a little thing, when you're ready to call the Dream Center, we're here for you. So they'd always see that phone number on the top of the lipstick. They would send a team to the prostitutes. They would literally send a team to the prostitutes in a van, acting like they were picking up prostitutes, but actually they were rescuing from their pimps. So they'd say, hey, do you, do you want to come today? When they you get the phone? Okay, get in the van. They'd get in the van, and they would skirt off. And sometimes the pimp would find them and literally chase them to the Dream Center. They had moments where they like, okay, hey, we, we've, got, we've got two prostitutes with us. They want to be rescued, but, but the pimp is chasing us. What do we do? They're like, hold on, we'll, we'll figure out something. We've we got to make sure this is very unwelcome to those people. So they're driving up to the Dream Center, and when they're driving up to the Dream Center, there's ex-convicts into this Dream Center, hundreds of them. They take 200 of the toughest-looking ex-convicts, and they stand out in front of the Dream Center to the pimp and say, what's up? Now, now, when I sin, I say cuss words. When I sin, I get angry with people. When these people sin, they kill people, okay? Totally different sin bar, all right? You know what I'm saying? Just came out of sin. Oh, okay, what did you do? Kill people? Whoa, okay, okay. So, 200 convicts are standing at the Dream Center ready to fight for two prostitutes. Think about what God is doing to this city. He's turning it upside down. He is taking men who used to want to violate women, now protecting women. The 12 to 17 year olds that weren't allowed at the Dream Center, you go to LA now, guess what happens? A kid will get arrested, and instead of going to juvie, this is what the judge says We have now sentenced you to the Dream Center for six months of rehabilitation. What? You're telling me now the judges, you're now sentenced to Jesus. <laughs> how, how does this work? How does this, how does this happen? Now, this, now when I saw Matthew Barnett and the Dream Center, our, we would take our youth, when I was a youth pastor, I'd take them to Dream Center. They would send us the Marvin Gardens, the blood capital of the world, and we'd go serve literally the, 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 the gangs that were the bloods, and they'd say, hey, when we'd show up on camp, they go, yo, we got your back. They'd show us, a, whoa. Literally, they, they would guard us because they knew we were there to serve them. And I thought, man, like I want, a, I want something like that to have in my life, Lord. I want a dream like that to come to fruition. I want something birthed birth like that in my life. And so I saw Matthew Barnett, and I was like, man, like, it just looks so amazing. I was disillusioned. I didn't realize that that dream was birthed out of Knight's bawling his face off, saying, God, why am I even alive? Do you want to use me? It was years and years and years and years and years and years and years. 10 plus years till they acquired the the hospital that's 400,000 square feet now. But we see it come to fruition. We're like, okay, I'll take it. The problem is, is are you willing to actually give a season of your life to the Lord and give him a shot to actually birth what he wants to birth in your life? You've given a season to the world. Let's be honest, we all have. And it hasn't worked out that well for most people. It didn't work out well for me. And so we're going to look at what to expect when expecting you're going to expect an invite from the Lord. We're going to look at Joshua's story. I think it's one of the better stories when it comes about your promise being fulfilled. So we're going to look at um, the invitation from the Lord. You're going to expect an invitation. Second thing you're going to ex- expect, expect a process. God is going to give you a process. He's going to give you something to be faithful to. And man, faithfulness is not a sexy word we have in our culture, but man, you need to be faithful to something to be great with something. You've got to be faithful to it. Then I, after that, when you expect a process, expect some problems. When we when we came to Wall Creek, I knew that we weren't just planning church; we were picking a fight with the enemy. But greater He is in me than who is after me. And then, after some problems, expect some people to celebrate with. Come on, I want to celebrate with you. Want to celebrate today? Let's look at this. All right, let's look at the first thing that happens in, in, in these principles. I believe these are principles that could transfer. Because, again, your wall is not going to look like my wall. Your valley is not going to look like my valley. Your river that you need to separate, the, the Red Sea, it's not going to look like mine. So we're all going to have different ones. Matthew Barnett's story is his story. I was going to share my story about how I got to this moment. But I was like, you know what? Matthew Barnett's is a lot better than mine. Uh, so I'll use his today. But, again, for me to get here, it didn't happen overnight. It took four years of being a youth pastor making 100 bucks a week. Got to raise my last year 200 bucks a week. Then moving to LA and making 30 grand and living with, with, with the family. Then finally making a living and then meeting my wife at Church on the Way and, 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 and us making a ton of money and then us taking a hundred thousand plus pay cut to come up here and then finally uh, making a living. And the Lord's saying, okay, now that you made a living, I want you to go plant a church now and leave that again. This is, these are all things I had to go through to get to this moment. I People tell me all the time, oh, church planting looks easy. I should church plant. You have no idea what you're talking about. You is so dumb. If you knew what it took to get here, if you knew the people sacrifice, how many people have bled, sweat, and prayed for this thing, that they're showing up and sacrifice? You have no clue what you just said. Oh, yeah, I'll take that. So here's the first thing that God wants to do, and he wants to invite you on his team. Let's look at Joshua. We're going to look at the story of Joshua. We're going to really get into the story, really try to understand what's happening. So it's in Joshua 6, or Joshua 5 we're going to pick up, verse 13. Now this is a new generation. Everybody say new generation. Come on, the old generation, 40 plus years, did not trust God. When you, They trusted their own selves. They trusted their own power. They trusted the, the, the world more than anything. And so because they trusted the world, they circled the mountain for 40 plus years. I don't know about you, but I don't want to circle a mountain for 40 plus years. I want to walk to my promise. Valleys, peaks, rivers, whatever it is, I want to walk to it instead of circle something. You hear what I'm saying? And if God wants me to circle something for a season to develop something in me, I'll circle it. But I'm ready for a, a wall to fall. So Joshua is it within this new generation. Uh, that trusts God, that believes God, that hopes in God. Not a perfect generation, but they they are marked by trust. The generation before was marked by lack of trust. So Joshua comes in, and here's what happens. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with the sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, Are you friend or foe? Neither one, he replied. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. It's an amazing moment. It's the kingdom of God, uh, Christophany. Literally, this moment, Joshua is encountering the commander of the Lord's army. And I love Joshua. I love when people get things quick. I wish I was as quick as Joshua. At this moment, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I'm at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? The command of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told, stop. First thing that you're going to have to understand is that you're going to have to figure out, do you want to be on team your name or team Jesus? Okay? He invites you on his team. Literally, Joshua has this moment. Yo, you want my team or you want Jericho's team? You friend or foe, what team are you on? He goes, neither. I'm not on your team. You need to get on my team. Now, I'll just be honest. When I grew up in Seattle, we only had losing teams. I grew up a Mariners fan. Any Mariners fans in the house? Man, we need a lot of prayer. We need to be restored. I mean, I mean, it's just bad news, okay? 40 plus years, never made it to the World Series, never seen them win even a pennant, okay? They suck. I stopped being a Mariners fan. I was not called to be a Mariners fan. It was a mistake in my life, okay? God's redeemed it, all right? Uh, first thing we did when we moved up here, we, we, we adopted the Giants and they won the World Series. It's like, oh, it's that easy. Fantastic. Um, but you take somebody who's a Patriots fan and they got some expectation. Can we agree with that? Super Bowl every year. You take s- some other fans that are Cleveland Browns fans and they're like, hopefully we win a game this year. You know what I'm talking about? Well, you take the Giants and you take the A's. A different kind of hope, just going to be honest. Okay? You take the Niners, you take the Raiders. They both need help right now. That's a different story, <laughs> all right? So I, I never saw anything won at all. I moved up to the Bay Area. The Seahawks finally won a Super Bowl. Is when I lived here now, though. But, and I, I just experienced losing for the longest time in Washington, just loss after loss. You always prepared. You could be up 10 points in a basketball game. You could be up in a football game. You could be up in a baseball game. But you knew it was just going to end with a loss. You were trained to process with a loss. And then I moved to the Bay Area. And now, every year the Warriors play, I'm like, championship. And I was like, oh, you lost three games. Yeah, Boogie Cousins comes back in January. Sit down, okay? <laughs> Whatever. Um, Steph Curry was hurt. You don't you know what you're talking about. Now, I, I, I live in this different culture where I just, I'm rooting for winners. Let's apply this to our life real quick. When I grew up not in a Christian home, I saw a lot of losing in my family. I saw suicide. I saw everybody, every single person. Every single marriage not end well. I saw uh, young people go to drugs, all my cousins. It, it, it was one of the most upsetting thing to watch because they did not know who Jesus was. My mom and my dad always say, man, like, what happened with you? Why is your life the way it is? And I, I love when they ask me that question. And, and to be honest, the only reason why my marriage is the way it is today, the only reason why my life is the way it is today is because I decided I don't want to be on Team Tyler anymore. Team Tyler had too many losses in life. Team Tyler sucks at life. But Team Jesus is the way to life. So you got to decide how you're going to navigate your emotions, your passion, and your purpose when God invites you on his team. There is a verse in Hebrews where God does not like slothfulness. Because when God invites you on his team, he's not asking for a slothful, begrudging person. All right, fine, I'm going to be on your team. He is looking for people who actually want to chase and run with him. Everybody say Run. You're going to be invited to run with God because Matthew Barnett, when he had the dream in L.A., he did not think that within 15 years that he could have a 400,000, 50-plus-million-dollar building with 700 people being restored every single year, thousands upon thousands of people, that you would have a church that thousands upon thousands, where now churches around the nation are building dream centers because they saw a dream come to fruition because a man was willing to go through the process. I'll never forget this. Again, God did not create you one way to use you another. Can we agree with this? But you've got to find out how God did create you and how he wants to use you. Can we agree with this statement? I went to the Warriors game last year, and it was one of my favorite moments. went this year, too. But uh, it was this amazing, like, eye-opening moment where uh, I was at the Warriors, and the Warriors were down 10 points to the Spurs. Fourth quarter. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm an energetic person. Do you guys you know that? Yeah, okay. So it's fourth quarter of the Warriors game, and uh, we're down 10, and Katie's about to check in. And I stand up, and I'm courtside. Boom, here to here, Okay. It's the first time i ever sat courtside. The only time i ever sat courtside. Changed my life, okay? Uh, but ru- ru- it was amazing. So, so Katie's right here, and uh, Katie's about to check in, and I stand up, and I go, let's go! Let's go, Katie! You know, he kind of gets his attention. Now, I know he knows Hillsong Church, because my uh, he, he, uh, Carl Lenz is a pastor. He's like, Hillsong! Jesus! Let's go! And he goes, huh? And he, like, looked at me. I was like, yeah, Katie just looked at me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> And then, when, but once somebody looks at you, you, you don't really think it through to the very end. So then he looks at me, and I was like, "Oh, hi." You know, I, I didn't really think you're gonna look. <laughs> I just was gonna do this the whole time. But now, when you look, I can't keep doing this to you. So I just kind of, like, you know. So Katie gets in the game. KD literally puts the team on his back in this one. Steph got hurt in the first quarter, so he wasn't playing. KD's hitting bucket after bucket. Each time he scores a basket, I'm literally screaming, let's go! I'm just at the top of my lungs. I'm not sitting down anymore. I'm pumped because we're about to beat the Spurs. Popovich walks down his uh, sideline. He's right in front of me because I've got the court side. And I look at Pop and said, Pop, you better call a timeout. It's over. Sit down. You're going home. His name's KD. You're done. I'm screaming at Pop. Now, Papa would have looked at me. I would have been, oh my gosh, let's go. He's, he got authority. I'm screaming at everybody. Finally, we're tie game. KD comes up, hits the bucket at the free throw line. We go up two, and the whole place, ah! and so I'm like literally hugging my wife, uh, Nick and Carrie. They're high fiving the people behind. Them. i was like, let's go, let's go. There's the 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 media right there. The media guy turns around. He's like, let's go, let's. Go! I'm high fiving everybody. We win the game. I come home, I look at Rachel, I'm like, I just lost my voice. I literally lost my voice from that game. I want you to catch this real quick. Then Jesus invites me on his team. I started thinking the way culture trains us, and culture has to stop shaping you. You've got to let the kingdom of God shape your mind. Culture has told us that emotions are best used for the Warriors, the A's, the Giants, the Niners, the Raiders, the Sharks, whoever your team is that's where we go get our emotional outlet and that's where we be emotional we scream for teams. But I was thinking to myself, hold on a second. I'm a grown man, screaming for a dude to put a ball in a basket. Not only that, hold on, I'm screaming for the Warriors and none of them know my name. But I'm screaming at the top of my lungs and at the very end, this is what I say. We won! We won? <laughs> they don't even know me. I didn't even get paid. I'm sad when we lose. I'm happy when we win. Because I felt like I was on the team. Problem is, is that everybody on the Warriors, nobody knows my name. I'm not going to get loud. I'm not going to get run fast. I'm not going to get passionate about a team that doesn't know my name. I'm going to get a passionate about the God who knows my name and every hair on my head. Amen. Come on. There's something to be said when you say, man, why am I so? Your, your purpose comes with a passion. Your dream will come with this new kind of focus that is not of this world. And you've got to get in your th- the, the throne room of the Lord, get on your face. And like Matthew Barnett, his dream had to die, so his real dream had to be birthed. Some of you, you got to let a dream die. Some of you, got to let some things go that ne- the Lord never birthed in your heart. Some of you are way too busy. God did not create you to be busy. God did not put a ton of things on your plate. That is not from him. He is inviting you to be on his team. He says, man, let me use your energy, your passion, your gifts, the uniqueness of who you are. Let me use it for my kingdom. Get on my team and watch how you will defeat one thing after another. And at the end of your life, people will tell a story about you of how you were used by God. The problem is, is all of us want the promise, but we don't want to go through the process. You've heard me say this before, we all want the pecs, but no push-ups. But man, we're going to be the church that does the push-ups. But the way you do push-ups is you can do it with the Lord and never get tired. I believe it. Uh, it doesn't mean that we operate by feelings. I, I, I'm tired on Sundays sometimes. Sometimes frustrated on Sundays. But man, when I come here, I start worshiping, I'm like, oh my gosh, Lord, I get to be a part of this. People are getting saved today. First thing you're going to do is you're going to be invited on a team. Let's keep going. Second one is expect a promise. Expect a promise. Joshua 6, this kind of piggybacks on the Matthew Barnett story. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its kings and fighting men. So Joshua, God says, you see it? I've given you Jericho. It don't look like you've given me Jericho. There's still a wall there. All the people are, the the walls are barred. Everything's barred. See, you've given. I don't see it. God wants you to see it before actually it comes to fruition. I, I really believe this. God doesn't want to just change your circumstance. He wants to actually change something in you. And the way he does that is he shows you the promise and then he says, watch how big I am, not how big you are along this promise. And so my prayer is, is that you would start seeing things differently. I've declared some things even for our church. You can check my email. This is hilarious that this happened today. But I wrote down, I was asking the Lord, Lord, what do you see with our church? It's your church. What do you see with it? I wrote, I see a church that loves first and asks questions later. God has shown me a church that is going to be marked by love. That we're going to be the most loving church on the planet. I see it. And we're going to fight for it. And we're going to pray for it and God's going to bring people, and their eyes are going to be open to really, that they're so legalistic, but God didn't call you to be legalistic, he called you to be loving. I see a church that is so attractive and so refreshing to the world that we have a seating and parking problem. What? (laughs) That happened today, I didn't even plan it. You can check my, when I emailed this message to myself, this was before today, we got people out uh, in the lobby, we were trying to figure out how do we get, we're going to, this church, a well, come on. Sorry, I'm going to go off a little bit. Uh, kind of excited. A well will not fail in a desert. It will not fail. And we are in a desert where it comes real love. We're in a desert when it comes to real purpose. We're in a desert when it comes to real unity. We're in a desert when it comes to real deep relationships. And God is not a cup. He is a well, and he never runs out. People are going to keep coming. And the problem we're going to have to work out is how to make sure that we have enough services and enough seats so people can come drink from the living water that is Jesus. That's what I see. I see a church that is all about relationships flourishing, not some religious and self-righteous behavior. I see a church of generous people that live for something bigger than themselves. You got to get home and you got to start writing down, God, what do you see for my life? Now, now, I don't want to tell you what I see because you are not want to join my team. I'll, I'll, I'll lead us somewhere else, but God, will you show me something for my life? I believe that we don't listen enough when it comes to the Lord. Every, all these victories, it has a rhythm. God speaks and then they do, not we speak and then he does. He leads, and then we follow. Man, get with the Lord and let him speak to your life. Listen a little longer. And if he doesn't do it in five minutes, well, maybe just give him 10. Is that okay? Maybe 20. Maybe if it's not the first day, keep praying. And believe the more and more you pray, God is birthing, he's developing something in you. Second part you need to expect when expecting is expect a process, expect a process. Joshua 6. So now he tells him, march around the city. Once with all the armed men, do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of rams, horns in the front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times, with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Everybody shout, woo! <laughs> not bad, not bad. I like it, I like it. It's pretty good, actually. Uh, I pictured that going really awkward, like, woo! Okay, uh, then the wall of the city will collapse, and the army will go up, and every, uh, everyone straight in. So Joshua called together the priests and said, Take up the ark, the Lord's covenant, and assign seven priests uh, to walk in front of it, each carrying a ram's horn. Then he gave orders to the people, march around the town, uh, and the armed men will lead the way in front of the ark of the Lord. Let's go down to verse 8. After Joshua spoke to the people, the seven priests with the ram's horns started marching in the presence of the Lord, blowing the horns as they marched, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed behind. Some of the armed men marched in uh, front of the priests with the horns and some behind the ark, with the priests continuing blowing the horns. And I love what the instructions Joshua says, do not shout, do not even talk. That's a nice term for shut up, okay? Uh, let's just be honest, that's the biblical term for shut up. Do not, don't even talk, zip it, okay? Uh, Joshua commanded, not a single word from any of you until I tell you to shout, then shout. So the Ark of the Lord was, uh, uh, the Ark of the Lord was uh, carried around the town once that day, and that everyone returned to spend the night in the camp. Stop. Proverbs 13, 3, those who control their tongue will have a long life. Open your mouth can ruin everything. I think that uh, some of you need some people in your life to tell you to shut your mouth and open your Bible. Come on, I'm just gonna be honest. Man, so many people just speak in death. You gotta get away from negative people. You start chasing a dream. You know, if, if, when you start chasing a dream, the first thing the enemy tries to do in all dreams, tries to kill it. He tries to kill your dream through, through negative people, through negative speech, through negative words. And so Joshua knows what happened with the old generation, they started marching. And people started grumbling, started talking. It's taking too long. It was better when we were in slavery and we, got a, we, we had a slave master that we cried out for, but now we're going to grumble and say it's horrible. He says, nobody talk. And I feel like sometimes we, we talk so well to God, but we follow so poorly. And this is a moment where he said, nobody's going to talk. We're just going to follow. And he doesn't even tell them how many days. God tells Joshua, you see in the scripture, he doesn't tell them. So let's enter this story. Let's just enter this story. So, can you imagine being a warrior? You get all suited and booted. and You're like, all right, Joshua, we're taking down the town. Joshua goes, here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk around it once a day for the first six days. So you walk around it. And uh, just to give you some context, uh, geographically, it was, now I walk fast, so it would probably be 30 minutes for me. Uh, But if you're a solo walker an hour, so 30 minutes to an hour, let's split the difference. So 45 minutes, you're walking around this town just because God said to walk. Why else? Just because God said to walk. And can you imagine going back I can imagine this, if I was one of the warriors, okay? Uh, I come back to the camp and Rachel's like, okay, how did you do? How did my big warrior boy do, okay? Um, literally, my wife does talk to me like that. I, I threw something away and she's like, oh my gosh, you did it, yay! I was like, cold-blooded, girl, it's cold-blooded. Um, I'm bad at throwing things away, I just leave trash everywhere. She's, so she's encouraging me very sweetly. Um, but she come back, she's like, yeah, so, so how, many, how many bad guys did you get? You know? And i would be like, yeah, well, you know, yeah. we walked around the, the city you did what yeah it's one hour just walked around it that's it yep next day all right see you later sweetie come back what did you do today? just walked around the city okay okay how nice would it have been if they would have walked around the city let's just be honest if they could have seen just some of the wall fall down like the first lap i like, oh, oh, it's about to get real. You know, you'd be probably leave leading champ. Like, how'd it go? Walked around it. First brick fell down. Just, ka-poof. second day, boom. Third day, poof. the problem is that's not how God works. God didn't want them to have any of the credit because he was not trying to make them big. He was trying to show them how big he was. God's not trying to make you big. Come on. No, you're not powerful when you're big. You're powerful when you actually realize how weak you are. When I am weak, then I am strong. When I boast in my weakness and realize that God's strength is actually what I need to change this world, not by my strength, no, but by his spirit, that's when things get good. So for six days, they walk around it, and they just see nothing. But here's the deal. Hope will change the way you walk. It'll change the way you talk. Hope will change the way you pray. Monday night at our house a year year and a half ago in September, 12 people. We're going to pray for a 1,000 salvations. So for an hour and a half, we would play a worship song and get on our face and pray for Mission Church, for you, for this region. Lord, use this church to change the world. Use this church. At the very end of the night, people would say, hey, so what did you guys do? What happened? What did you see? We prayed. Well, what, what happened after that? Nothing. Second week, prayed. Hope is going to change your faithfulness in prayer. It's going to change. Ten, ten weeks, start church very first service. Hey, if you want to say yes to Jesus, will you raise your hand? What is going on right now? I get it, God. We've been circling this city before we got here. And there's something to be said about that. I want to hear this real quick. We are going to circle this city for the rest of our days. We're going to walk around it with love. This wall of hate that is in this region, we're going to keep walking around it, and we're going to love people. And you can say, man, I love that person, but I didn't see anything fall down. Hey, Embrace the process. If God told you to love, you keep loving. Second day, you walk around it. Okay, I'm walking around this city. I'm loving people. I'm not seeing anything. Maybe, just maybe, on the seventh day, somebody's walls come down at your work or in your family, and finally you get the opportunity to actually enjoy victory with them. It's just something about faithfulness in the process. I want you to catch this real quick. The next thing you need to expect, and it's very simple, is you need to expect some people to shout with, some people to shout with. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to finish. Joshua 6. Joshua 6. On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they have done before. I love this. But this time they went around the town seven times, the seventh time around, as the priests surrounded the, uh, sounded the long blast on their horns. Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the town. Jericho and everything and it must be. Stop. Again, it's the wall's not done, but now... Jesus, God, tells Joshua, town's yours. Joshua's now saying to people, because he's been walking with the Lord, he's been hanging out with the Lord, shout, the town is yours. When you start to hang out with the Lord, your faith is different. You start hanging out with hope, because hope is not a thing, it's not a place, it is a person, it's Jesus. When you start hoping, man, it will change the way you talk. Can I, can I be honest with you? I think a lot of us quit way too quickly. I think a lot of us uh, speak way too negatively. And in scripture, power in life, and life are the tongue, of course. And my prayer for you is that when you uh, enjoy this next journey in hope, is I don't want to give you a bubblegum gospel. Plans to hope, prosper, future, fantastic. But wrapped around it is this process that might take a little longer than you might like. But man, just don't quit. Can you imagine if they would have stopped at six? Stopped at five? Stopped at four? Because here's what happens when the people heard the sound of the ram's horn, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly, the walls of Jericho collapsed, and an Israelite charged straight into the town and captured it. They completely destroyed everything in it with their swords—men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and goats and donkeys. Stop. I love sports. I love God more. Who loves sports? Raise your hand. Who hates sports? So a lot of my illustrations suck today. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Who are the Warriors? Yeah, they're a basketball team. I love movies. I love, who loves movies? Raise your hand. Okay. Who hates movies? Raise your hand. It's cool. We can, we love Jesus together. All right. I am such an extrovert. I can't go see a movie by myself. I can't. Like, it's the worst experience. Because you walk out and you're like, (laughs) I can't do it. Like, did you see what Robin Hood did? Oh my gosh, that was amazing. Like, I want to I need to digest it. I need to process it with somebody. Because they just experienced something, you know? Watching a sporting event, it's terrible watching it by yourself. You know, it's probably one of the more depressing things in life when I'm literally laying in bed watching the Seahawks they score a and I'm like, "Woo!" <laughs> okay, I'm just going to lay back down. <laughs> it's terrible. But man, there's something really enjoyable when you're with it. Oh, there's the reason why people love going to games even. You experience victory with other people. It's, it's an amazing moment. Imagine watching a game at your house and there's 20 people in the room. Your favorite team. Scores a winning touchdown. Man, you go bananas. You hug people you shouldn't hug. You high-five people you shouldn't high-five. It's an amazing moment. And I believe that when we actually see what God is doing here, every salvation, that God wants us to shout together. He wants us to celebrate together. He wants people to celebrate with you. That's why we love small groups. That's why they're so important to us. you gotta, you got to find community here. you got to plug in. You're missing out if you're only coming on Sundays. It's a taste of what really Monday through Saturday is. I have a quick conclusion and we'll just wrap it up. Colossians 1, we always thank God, the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring, everybody say spring, from the hope stored up for you in heaven. Love, come on, and faith spring forth from what? From hope. You're telling me hope That's actually where love... You can't have faith without hope. I feel like hope don't get in a pub. I feel like we always talk about faith and love, amazing things. Faith, hope, and love the three things. Even the the church that's a model church. We always thank God uh, for you. This is uh, 1 Thessalonians 2. As we pray to our God and Father about you, when we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and your enduring hope, you you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to read this again. Oh, so good. We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for God's people. Man, we need to love each other, come on now. The faith and love that spring from hope, stop. The way you hope about heaven is gonna affect the way you love in the present. The way that you hope in heaven is what this says is gonna be the way that you have uh, love in in the present. The way you hope in heaven is the way you're gonna have faith in the present. Let me just give you an illustration and we'll stop there, okay? Picture two people, two humans, two, two guys or two girls, doesn't matter, okay? They work 50 hours a week. They are making clocks for 50 hours a week. You tell one human your reward at the end of this year for making clocks 50 hours a week is $30,000, okay? You take the same person, you take the same job, give it to a different person, and you say, at the end of this year, I'm gonna pay you $30 million to make the same watches worth the same hours. Fast forward a couple weeks. Hey, do you love your job? Are you enjoying it? I hate this. 50 hours a week, $30,000. It's a tedious job. It's boring. You know, God didn't call us to be bored again. He called us to be born again. You know what I'm saying? But so many of us, I feel like we get so bored in this thing of making disciples and and building the church. But this person, they think the reward, their hope in the reward is $30,000. They're not going to enjoy what they're called to do, really. Take the same person. Hey, are you enjoying making watches? (sighs) I get to make watches? Do you know they're going to pay me thirty million dollars to make watches. Take a Christian. You having fun building the kingdom? Yeah, I really don't get it. It's okay. Man, I pray this season that you'd become this person and have your eyes open to the inheritance of heaven. And you don't get to take this stuff with you, but you can send stuff ahead of you. You can send blessings and glory. You can send reward ahead of you. You can invest your life into heaven. It says don't invest it in the world, but invest it in heaven. And to say to somebody, man, are you having fun, Tyler? Are you having fun building the church? I can't believe I get to do this with my life because I know what the reward is. What N.C. Wright writes in a book, Surprised by Hope, he literally says, what your thoughts are about life after death are going to affect your life before death. So whatever you're hoping in is going to affect the way that you have passion, the way you pray. Hey, Todd, why do you pray so much? Why do you have so much hope for a region to transform? Because I believe in heaven. Todd, why do you love people so much? Because I believe in heaven. Why did you sacrifice a hundred and grand to come up here? I'm not trying to break, but you want to know why I did it? Because I believe in heaven. It wasn't even a sacrifice. Oh, no, we got to live in a one-bedroom apartment, and we got to drive a brand-new Kia Optima instead of a Ford. Explore. The key Octima became a lemon, by the way, and it's lemon law, and it sounded like it was going to explode. We had to get rid of it. Different story. <laughs> it was little like, duck, 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 duck. we get all these letters like, uh, stop driving your key. It's about to explode. <laughs> Do it all for you, Lord. Catch this real quick. You're not sacrificing when you say yes to the kingdom, you're actually winning. You're not losing anything when you say yes to the kingdom. You're gaining everything. The enemy has deceived many, believing that the world is what satisfies you. Oh, may God open your eyes that his dreams, his plan, his promise for your life satisfies your soul on a whole different level. Will you bow your heads?